Most people want to be led, but suppose they choose the wrong leader. Then they end up with the Donner Party. Louise Penny. Violent Vice contains graphic and or explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Violent Vice. My name is Audie Griffith. And I'm John John. Hello. Hello. If you guys could do us a favor, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. And welcome to episode 61. Today is a doozy. Possibly we'll turn into a part two-er, but we'll just kind of see where the day takes us. Now you say doozy. Why is this one a doozy? What are we talking about today? Well, we are talking about the Donner Party. Ooh, we're finally breaching that topic. We Okay, you mean the topic that we have hinted at about 600 times throughout the entirety of our stuff. We're finally doing a deep dive? Yep, we're doing a deep dive. We're headed on the Oregon Trail, John John, so pack up your covered wagon oh. and we're going to mm-hmm. take this to a whole new level. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Yeah, let's not get run over by bison, ox, or get dysentery, but we'll probably get all three. Oh, yeah. Freezing, starvation, Watch out for those rattlesnake bites, and be sure not to fall off your wagon and get crushed by a wagon wheel. Yeah, always be careful at those portages and whatnot. Yeah, I looked up all the ways people died on the Oregon Trail, and the list is so long. It's just so long. It was harder to survive than to die. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like we said, this takes place on the Oregon Trail, and we are not talking about the video game. We are talking about the actual thing where people took covered wagons over hundreds and hundreds of miles from the East Coast to the West Coast out to California and Oregon area. So Usually starting from, what was it, like Kansas City or something like that? Um, and like that was where like the big shootout came from? I want to say it wasn't like quite on like straight up the east coast i want to say it was around that missouri area yeah so kind of the midwest so this happens right after the midwest expansion so like after wisconsin was kind of like delumbered and uh like texas was just starting to get explored and everything and you know all that good stuff so like a lot of people headed from texas a lot of people from indiana um you know a couple from the plain areas so yeah they hopped on Oregon Trail with hundreds of covered wagons and yeah for a few months or weeks they you know traveled across the country very very slowly so yeah that is the Oregon Trail in a brief brief nutshell Mm. yeah so kind of just a little bit more background about the Donner Party specifically we're going to talk about this book written by Lansford Hastings who was an early migrant from Ohio to the West. He went to California in 1842, and he saw the promise of the undeveloped country. To encourage settlers, he published The Immigrant's Guide to Oregon and California as an alternative for the Oregon Trail standard route through Idaho's Snake River Plain. He proposed a more direct route, which actually increased the trip's mileage by 20 miles. 
to California across the Great Basin, which would take travelers through the Wasatch Range across the Great Salt Lake Desert. Hastings had not traveled any part of his proposed shortcut until until early 1846 on a trip from California to Fort Bridger. The fort was a scant supply station run by Jim Bridger and his partner Louise Vanquez in the Blacks Fork, Wyoming. Hastings stayed at the fort to persuade travelers to turn south on his route just to encourage more traveling across there and encourage his fame to grow. As of 1846, Hastings was the second of two men documented to have crossed the southern part of the Great Salt Lake Desert, but neither had been accompanied by any wagons. So, basically, he wrote this route before he even traveled it, and then when he did Mm -hmm. travel it, he didn't travel with wagons, he just traveled across horseback. So... Okay, so it's basically like saying... Like, say you were trying to get across New York City... And somebody was saying, yeah, it only takes about 10 minutes. What you do is you take this trail. It's like, okay, well, I have a car. Well, you need a bike. Kind of. Otherwise, you're not going to get there. This won't work for you. But if you take a bike, it will work perfectly, make your time super easy. Well, I have a car. Pretty much, except he said that cars could make it. Oh, so it's just like, just because he could get there without one means that you could get there with one. Yeah. Kind of situation. Kind of false advertising sort of Mm. thing. Ooh, that reminds me. This is really similar to something I think I remember. There was a Scottish guy named Gregor McGregor. Like, that's his actual name. Who, like, conned people into settling this most inhospitable part of, like... I want to say, like, around Panama type stuff, but he called it Poyer. And he said it was a paradise, but people just kept on going there to just fill in more space there, even though it was incredibly inhospitable and many of the people that went there to settle died. And even though it was found out that that was the case, he still kept on selling people on it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it it is kind of similar. So it's like... This is, like, huge-level con-man-type stuff. Like, also, the guy that sold the Eiffel Tower to four different people. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, so kind of false advertising. Like, he didn't even travel this route until after his book was published. So, um, again, it, this was just kind of an idea not really tested. And we'll kind of get into why stuff should be tested before you write about it. But... Um, kind of going into a bit more about the trail, arguably the most difficult part of the journey to California was the last hundred miles across the Sierra Nevada range, which is currently where I live. This mountain range has about 500 distinct peaks over 12,000 feet, which is about 3,700 meters high, which because of their height and proximity to the Pacific Ocean receive more snow than most other ranges in North America. So these mountains, like Mount Rose, which is right by me, has snow on it basically from, I would say, early October to late May. Um, And, I mean, there's a varying, like, give or take a month on each end. Is that kind of like how when we were on that trip to Oregon and we were, like, it was in the middle of June after school was done. And it snowed. Yeah, yeah. Is that sort of like the same sort of elevation on the mountain range type situation? Very much so. And so, like, 
granted it's desert, so like you still get those high temps and everything, but at night it does get cold and you figure about, so like right now my apartment's at 5,500 feet above sea level, Mount Rose is around 12, so you figure it's about 20 degrees cooler, up to 40 degrees cooler at the top of Mount Rose, give or take, depending on the day, so yeah. Mm Um, okay. and you get storms that kind of blow up out of nowhere. Most of the time it evaporates before it gets to where I am, but up there, you know, it actually hits the ground. So, yeah. Okay. So basically it just, it catches all the storms before they reach you. Yes. Yes, it does. Gotcha. Hence why we're a different biome than the California side of Mount Rose. So, yeah. So the eastern side of the range is also notoriously steep. After a wagon train left Missouri to cross the vast wilderness to Oregon or California, timing was crucial to ensure it would not be bogged down by mud created by the spring rains or by massive snow drifts in the mountains from September onward. So September was kind of the cutoff and you wanted to be in that kind of sweet spot of summer. Traveling during the right time of the year was also critical to ensure that the horses and oxen had enough spring grass to eat. So, like, if it was later or whatnot and all the grass was eaten or burnt or whatnot, a lot of times the animals would go hungry. And then, by extension, you would go hungry after the animals died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, if, like, the timing wasn't right, would that just mean the settlers would just wait a year or so? Or, like, wait those several months before crossing? So a lot of times if they were delayed enough to where winter happened, yes, they would wait the several months to for winter to pass um, if they were at like a fort or something. But sometimes they got caught, which again, we'll kind of get to with this mm-hmm. party. I'd imagine that those that waited it out before going ended up settling just there. A lot of times some people did. So like if you're a fan of Yellowstone and the prequel 1863... That kind of happened to them in Montana, where they just waited out the winter in Montana and settled there. Okay, so it's just like, we didn't plan to say, like, settle here, it's just, that's what happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but a lot of them did actually push on to California and Oregon, because a lot of, um, there was a lot of publicity of, like, oh, that's, like, you know, the Golden State, where... It's beautiful, mm-hmm. like it's prosperous. You go out there to make your fortune and you can kind of the it American was, dream for the time. It was the literal gold rush. Yeah. Like shortly after it was settled, it was a gold rush. Yep, and th- this is right on the precipice of the gold rush. We'll kind of talk right at the end, possibly in part two, of the, why this trail was then changed because of the gold rush. So. Hey, do you love gold jewelry? that has meaning do you want to emphasize your beauty and uniqueness check out libertabrilliere.com that's l-i-b-e-r-t-a-b-r-i-l-l-a-r-e.com they have a great selection of 18 karat gold-plated jewelry at an affordable price i personally got the yasami a snake and isa and i absolutely love them go to com and use code B-I-C-E, all caps, for 50% off. That's right, 50% off, all caps on the vice. And stay sparkly, darling. I'm going to get into the families, and I just kind of want to preface this by saying 
I will not remember all the names of the kids. You will not remember all the names of, like, the family members. There's a couple key players that we'll talk to and talk about a lot. But all the families made this trip. They're worth mentioning. A lot of people died. So we're going to take the time, and we're going to kind of go through who is all on this wagon train. Mm-hmm. Because these, like, not just this one, but many of them were, like, pretty extensive, right? Like, we're... Huge. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was literally looking like a highway of all just wagons and stuff like that. Yep. So if you remember earlier uh, how Tessie could have gotten um, confused like with a great sea serpent or snake, a lot of these wagon trains looked like a giant serpent along the Great Plains and everything by how many wagons there were. So that was like a common um, description of these wagon trains. Yeah, I could, I guess, like, from above, and like, not knowing what these things are, just seeing this trail of just, like, one, like, white thing followed by just a whole bunch of them might end up looking like a snake moving across the land. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yep. Yep, yep. So, in the spring of 1846, almost 500 wagons headed west from Independence. At the rear of the train, a group of nine wagons containing 32 members of the Reed and Donner families and their employees left on May 12th. George Donner, born in North Carolina, had gradually moved west to Kentucky, Indiana, and Illinois with a one-year stint in Texas. In early 1846, he was about 60 years old, living in Springfield, Illinois. With him is 44-year-old wife, Tamsin, their three daughters, Frances, Georgia, and Eliza, and George's daughter from a previous marriage, Alethea and Alina, 12. Georgia's younger brother, Jacob, also joined the party with his wife, Elizabeth, stepsons, Solomon, Hook, and William Hook, and their five children, George, Mary, Isaac, and Louis, and Samuel. Also traveling with the Donner brothers were Teamsters, Hiriam O'Miller, and Samuel Shoemaker, with others, Noah James, Charles Berger, John Denton, and Augustus Spitzer. Now the read kind of portion. James F. Freed immigrated from Ireland with his widowed mother during childhood and moved to Illinois in the 1820s. He was accompanied on the journey by his wife, Margaret, who was 32 at the time, stepdaughter, Virginia, daughter, Mary Jane, Patty, sons James and Thomas, and Sarah Keyes, Margaret Reed's mother, who at the time was in advanced stages of consumption. So they brought her along, hoping that the West would help her out with her breathing. Unfortunately, she died at the campsite named Alcove Springs. She was buried nearby off the side of the trail with a gray rock inscribed, Mrs. Sarah Keyes died May 29th, 1846, at age 70. We'll kind of get to when this happens on the trip, but... She didn't really make it far early on, so it kind of just men mentions that she died off pretty much right away. In addition to leaving financial worries behind, Reed hoped that California's climate would help Margaret, who had long suffered from ill health. The Reeds hired three men to drive the ox teams, Milford, Milt, Elliot, James Smith, and Walter Heron. Bailey... Bayless Williams went along as a handyman with his sister Eliza as the family's cook. So a lot of people, a lot of times wagon trains hired ox teams, so like they would use ox or food, um, a handyman to help repair wagons along the way, and then they almost always had a cook who could butcher oxen and animals along the way 
just to feed the team so they didn't waste meat along the way. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of your typical kind of setup. I don't know if I would say that this is probably on par. It might be, but do you remember the movie Atlantis? Yes. Where there was Cookie, who was just basically an old prospector with a huge pot. Yep, who would cook the meals and everything. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what I'm picturing when you mentioned that. Yep, and then they had a doctor and a handyman. Kind of mm-hmm. like that was their go-to travel. Kinda. Just like everybody had their role on the way there. and Yeah, if it's only one person who can do that, somebody's unable to do it, things go south quick. Yep, yep. So, within a week of leaving Independence, the Reeds and Donners joined a group of 50 wagons, nominally led by William H. Russell. By June 16th, the company had traveled 100, er, 450 miles, which is about 720 kilometers, within 200 miles to go before Fort Lemire. They had been delayed by rain and a rising river. Several other families joined the wagon train along the way, so this was pretty typical. The larger groups you kind of traveled in, the less threat of um, attacks from like animals or Native Americans along the way would happen just because size and numbers, or protection and numbers. Mm-hmm. The herd mentality. Yep. Among these wagons that joined them were Lavina Murphy, a widow from Tennessee, headed her family of 13. Her five youngest children were John, Miriam, Lemuel, William, and Simon. Lavina's two married daughters and their families also came along. Sarah Murphy Foster, her husband William M. Foster, son Jeremiah George, Harriet Murphy Pike, and her husband William M., and their daughters Naomi and Catherine. So, huge family. A bunch of wagons. You know, that whole thing. Um, Another family was William H. Eddy, a carriage maker from Illinois, who brought his wife Eleanor and their two children, James and Margaret. The Breen family, who also went along, consisted of Patrick Breen, a farmer from Iowa, his wife Margaret, Peggy, and seven children, John, Edward, Patrick, Simon, James, Peter, and 11-month-old Isabella. Their neighbor, 40-year-old bachelor Patrick Dolan, also traveled with them. Now, who else joined them was German immigrant Louis Kiesberg, along with his wife Elizabeth Philippine, and daughter Ada son Louis Jr. was born on the trail. Two young single men named Spitzer and Reinhardt traveled with another German couple, the Wolfingers, who were rumored to be wealthy as they also hired a driver, Dutch Charlie Berger. And an older man named Hardcup rode with them as well. So lastly, kind of wrapping up the families, Luke Halloran, a young man sick with consumption who could no longer ride horseback, um... The families that he had been traveling with no longer had resources to take care of him. He was taken in by George Donner uh, at Little Sandy River and rode in their wagon. So this guy kind of hit stride with the Donner wagon. So that is who all the players are. Again, not all of them are going to come up again, but they all made the trip, possibly died along the way. They are Mm. worth mentioning. Okay. So, yeah, as you can tell, large large train so now let's get back on the trail i just keep thinking of the eldorado movie whenever i say the trail like the trailer blaze song Mm -hmm. yeah i i remember yep 
So now most of what I'm going to take from On the Trail was taken from legendsofamerica.com. They described the Donner Party uh, pretty much day to day with some journal entries, which I excluded from the reading. Um, they were really detailed on what kind of happened. So again, most of this information is from there. So I want to give credit where credit is due. So James Frazier Reed, the originator of the group, who we mentioned earlier, was an Illinois businessman eager to build a greater fortune in the rich land of California. Reed also hoped that his wife, Margaret, who suffered from terrible headaches, might improve in the coastal climate. Reed had recently read the book, The Immigrant's Guide to Oregon and California, by Lansford W. Hastings, who advertised a new shortcut across the Great Basin. This new route enticed travelers by advertising that it would save the pioneers about 350 to 400 miles on easy terrain. However, that was not known by Reed. However, what was not known by Reed was that Hastings' route had never actually been tested before. And uh, this book, written by Hastings, who had visions of building an empire at Sutter's Fort, now known as Sacramento, it was this falsified information that would lead the, lead to the doom of the Donner Party. So, like we said before, brand new nine wagons, the group estimated the trip would take about four months to cross the plains, deserts, and mountain ranges and rivers in their quest to California. The first destination was Independence, Missouri, the main jumping off point for the Oregon and California trails. So, very, you know, traveled road up through this. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is based off of, like, the Missouri River, right? I believe so, as well as, like, trains. So, like, this is before, you know, the Great Continental Railroad mm -hmm. was there. A lot of people could travel to this point, and then it, this was the ma main trailhead mm -hmm. for the Oregon Trail. Okay. Yep. And like we kind of said, more wagons kind of joined in going to this spot and everything, mm -hmm. so it's very common to meet people along the way. Yeah. Now, it was kind of ironic, on the very day that the Illinois party headed west from Springfield, Lansford Hastings, the guy who wrote the book, prepared to head east from California to see what shortcut he had written about was really like, so this was the first time he had kind of tested it. So just keep that in mind and everything will kind of so revisit he that. He didn't test it going from east to west. He tested it going from west to east. He hadn't even tested it when he wrote the book. This was his well, first time testing yeah, it. But yeah. But his first time testing it, he started in California. Yes. That, no. Yeah. So much wrong. So much wrong. Yeah. Like, like we said, kind of a con man at the time. Yep, yep, yep. So, the wagon tra train reached Independence, Missouri about three weeks later, where they resupplied. The next day, on May 12, 1846, they headed west again in the middle of a thunderstorm. A week later, they joined a large wagon train captained by C Colonel William H. Russell, who was camped on Indian Creek about 100 miles west of Independence. Along the entire journey, others would join the group until the size numbered about 87. On May 25th, the train was held for several days due to high water at the Big Blue River near present-day Marysville, Kansas. It was there that the train would experience its first death when Sarah Keyes died and was buried next to the river. After building ferries to cross the river, the party was on their way again following the Platte River for the next month. 
Along the way, William Russell resigned as captain of the wagon trail, and the position was assumed by a man named William M. Boggs. Encountering a few problems along the trail, the pioneers reached Fort Lemire just one week behind schedule on June 27, 1846. So, mind you, due to rivers and, like, uh, crossing rivers, uh, barging and everything, it was very common for you to be behind schedule, which is why the earlier you leave, the better. Mm-hmm. So... At Fort Lemire, James Reed ran into an old friend from Illinois by the name of James Clyman, who had traveled the new route eastwardly with Lansford Hastings. Clyman advised Reed not to take the Hastings route, stating that the road was barely passable on foot and would be impossible with wagons. Also warning him of the Great Desert and the Sierra Nevadas. So, again, first time testing it, they went west to east barely passable by foot. And this guy said, oh, no, you can take wagons on. So this is just, you know, a disaster out from the get-go. Yeah, finding out pretty soon, like pretty quickly that, oh, I was wrong about this. Yeah. But this wasn't even the guy who wrote the book uh, that he met. This was just a guy that went with the guy who wrote the book. Okay. Mm, mm, boy. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. So, even though his friends strongly suggested that the party take the regular wagon trail rather than this new false route, Reed would later ignore his warning and attempt to reach their destination more quickly. So, they wanted to be faster, not more careful. Um, yeah, bad, bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Based off of how many times we've played the Oregon Trail going... Like, just on that stuff in school and stuff like that. Going quicker never really worked out. Never really worked out. No. No. There was a fine line between going quick and, like, dying in winter of starvation. So, Mm -hmm. it was never, never very good. No. But you almost guaranteed you weren't going to have any survivors if you went quick. Yeah. If you went careful... Then half the party even, might work. Yeah. Yeah. Even then, you're not getting there 100% of people. No. No, you never are. That's why it was, you know, called um, like one of the deadliest trails back in the day. So, yeah. Anyways, they were joined by other wagons in Fort Lemire. The pioneers were met by a man carrying a letter from Lansford W. Hastings at the Continental Divide on July 11th. The letter stated that Hastings would meet the immigrants at Fort Bridger and lead them on his cutoff, which he passed south of the Great Salt Lake, instead of detouring northwest via Fort Hall, present-day Poticello, Idaho. The letter successfully squashed any fears the party might have regarding the Hastings cutoff. So, again, he's just kind of bullshitting his way with this party so that they would take his cut, or take his shortcut. Mm Mm-hmm. On July 19th, the wagon trail arrived at Little Sandy River in present-day Wyoming, where the trail parted into two routes, the northerly known route and the untested Hastings cutoff. Here, the train split, with the majority of the large caravan, caravan taking the cipher route. So, remember, they met up with a bunch of uh, wagons already, so the mm-hmm. people that they, they met started, up... They started with nine, and they had a total of, like, 86 people overall by the time they left Missouri, right? 
Um, I believe it was 86 wagons is what 86 they... 86 wagons? Yes. I thought it was people. No, is what they met wow. up with. Um, the people are around that number for the Donner party, but again, we'll kind of get into it when we're there. So, the, uh, like I said, the large caravan split off with the majority of the group going to the safer route, and then the Donner party preferring the Hastings route. So, when they split off, George Donner was elected as their captain and began the southerly route, reaching Fort Bridger on July 28th. When the Donner party reached Fort Bridger, Lansford Hastings, who was supposed to lead them on through his route, wasn't there. Only a note left with immigrants resting at the fort. The note indicated that Hastings had left with another group and that the travelers should follow and catch up. Jim Bridger and his partner, Louise Vanquez, assured the Donner party that the Hastings cutoff was a good route. Satisfied, the immigrants rested for a few days at the fort making repairs to their wagons and preparing for the rest of what they thought would be a seven-week journey. So, this is kind of, you know, the cutoff to their doom. They had a mm. lot of chances to turn or take a safer route, and they just didn't take them. Split off. There's a lot of red flags going on. Yeah. Just, like, they left it, like, he just left a note with some other people saying, like, I already left, sorry. Yeah. Follow us. And really, they were the first ones to try it, weren't they? Yep. Mm. Yep. So, on July 31st, the party left Fort Bridger, joined by the McCutcheon family. The group now numbered 74 people and 20 wagons, and for the first week, they made good progress at about 10 to 12 miles per day. So again, remember, wagon trains are really, really slow. When 10 or 12 miles is good progress, that, you know, is saying something. On August 6th, the party reached Weber River after having passed through Echo Cannon, where they came to a halt when they found a note from Hastings advertising them not to follow him down Weber Canyon, as it was virtually impassable, but rather take another trail along the Salt Basin. So... You know, this is already bad when the route, you know, is being kind of made up on the fly. While the party camped near modern-day Hennifer, Utah, James Reed, along with two other men, forged ahead on horses to catch up with Hastings. Finding the party at the south shore of the Great Salt Lake, Hastings accompanied Reed partway back to the point out the new route, which he said would take them about one week to travel. In the meantime, the Graves family caught up with the Donner Party, which now numbered 87 people and about 23 wagons. Taking a vote among the party members, the group decided to try the new trail rather than backtracking back to Fort Bridger, another deadly error. On August 11th, the wagon train began the arduous journey through the Wasatch Mountains, clearing trees and other obstructions along the new path of their journey. In the beginning, the wagon train was lucky to even make two miles per day, taking them about six days just to travel eight miles. Along the way, they discovered that some of their wagons would have to be abandoned, and before long, the morale began to sink as the pioneers began to adamantly blame Lansford Hastings. By the time they reached the shore, they also blamed James Reed. So, mind you, they're basically going on this deer trail where they're cutting down trees and everything to make room for the wagons. They're only going about two miles a day. They're getting more and more behind. Resources are running mm. low. And their leader is, like, not doing a good job. They're blaming Hastings, who had assured him, like, this was the route to be. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a dead giveaway when they have to literally clear a path to make their route. Yeah. 
She's like, maybe we should turn around. Yeah, no kidding. That would have been pretty clear giveaway. It's just like, hmm, we can still get back to where we were split off in a day. Or we could keep going for 12 more days and get maybe a day and a half's distance away. Pretty much. So, mm. yeah. Um, and morale, you know, is really, really low. And to make it, you know, even worse, on August 25th, the car- caravan lost another member, Luke Harlan, who died of consumption near present-day Grantsville, Utah. So if sickness is kind of going around, you know, people are dying, like this isn't really a good time. Um, about this time, fear began to set in as provisions were running low and time was against them. So they're getting later and later into the summer. They're worried about, you know, getting caught for the winter time. It's, you know, morale is pretty low. In the 21 days since reaching Weber River, they had moved only 36 miles. So that is not a good pace. Five days later, on August 30th, the group began to cross the Great Salt Lake Desert, believing the trek would only take them two days, according to Hastings' book. However, what they didn't know was that the desert sand was moist and deep, and wagons would get quickly bogged down, severely slowing their progress. So the wagons would sink down, it would be really hard to pull. And it's a desert, like, it's it's a basin desert. This is a miserable mm-hmm. place to be stuck on. Mm-hmm. On the third day in the desert, their water supply was nearly exhausted, and some of Reed's oxen ran away. When they finally reached the end of the grueling desert five days later on September 4th, the immigrants rested near the base of Pilot Peak for several days just to rehydrate, you know, get healthy, and they, they just needed, you know, to rest and be by water. Mm-hmm. On their 80-mile journey through Salt Lake Desert, they had lost a total of 32 oxen. Reed was forced to abandon two of his wagons, and the Donners, as well as a man named Louis Keysburg, each lost one wagon. So, on the far side of the desert, an inventory of food was taken and found to be way less than adequate for the 600-mile trek still add. Snow powdered the mountain peaks that very night. So, you know, it's August, September, snow's already in the mountain peaks. They know they're mm-hmm. going to have to trudge through it. It's not looking very good. Mm-hmm. They reached the Humboldt River on September 26th. Realizing that the difficult journey through the mountains and the desert had depleted their supplies, two young men traveling with the party, William McCutcheon and Charles Stanton, were sent ahead to Sutter's Fort, California, to bring back supplies. So they were going to go ahead on, you know, horseback and try to bring as much back to the party as possible. Yep. Um, Just because there's not really anything in between them and California at this point. So, from September 10th through the 25th, the party followed the trails into the Nevada area around the Ruby Mountains, finally reaching Humboldt River on September 26th. It was here that the new trail met up with the Hastings' original path. Having traveled an extra 125 miles through the strenuous mountain terrain and dry desert, the disillusioned party's resentment of Hastings and ultimately Reed was increased tremendously. So they're just, like, pissed off. Morale is low. Like, they're like, why are we following these people? They don't know what they're talking about. That's kind of what's going around. Mm-hmm. Nobody so, likes being lied to, especially once they find out. Yeah. Yeah. The Donner Party soon reached the junction with the California Trail, about seven miles west of present-day Elko, Nevada, and it's here that they spent the next two weeks traveling along the Humboldt River. As the morale of the party de- decreased, tempers began to flare within the Donner Party. 
On October 5th at Iron Point, two wagons became, became entangled, and John Snyder, a teamster of one of the wagons, began to whip his oxen. Infuriated by the teamster's treatment of the oxen, James Reed ordered the man to stop, and when he wouldn't, Reed grabbed a knife and stabbed the teamster in the stomach, killing him. So, tempers are flaring all around. The leader just killed somebody. The Donner Party wasted no time in administering their own justice. Louis Kingsburg, whose name has, you know, popped up before and will continue to pop up, suggested hanging James Reed. The Donner Party voted instead to banish him. Leaving his family, Reed was last seen riding off west with a man named Walter Heron. So, Louis Kingsburg, we kind of talked about before, um... He's kind of a cruel man. His uh, actions and everything will be kind of condemned along the Donner Party um, throughout the Oregon Trail. We'll kind of get into him a bit more at the end, but he's kind of the villain of the Donner Party. Hmm. We touched briefly on him way back in a few episodes, but uh, again, we'll get to him at the end. Yeah. Starting now to get kind of a vibe that he's taking stuff more than one step further than it needs to. Yes, yes, he's very violent. Um, just to kind of qu- qu- put a few rumors, like it was suggested that he might have stole stuff along the trail. Like, granted, the media did villainize him quite a bit, but yeah, he was just not very liked around the Donner Party. Mm-hmm. So. The terrible ordeals of the caravan would continue on, and they mounted on October 12th when their oxen were attacked by Pew Indians, killing about 21 of them with their poison-tipped arrows, further depleting their draft of animals. So, a lot of times, tribes would, like, either dip uh, their arrows in, like, dung or whatnot to kind of poison them, so as soon as you were shot with them, even if you survived the initial, like, injury, you would die. You would still die, yeah. Of infection. So, if any of you guys seen 1863, they did this. Um, she also had a kidney shot, or shot through the kidneys, so, like, that was kind of a death sentence as well. It was just not good. I mean, just any sort of major wound was kind of a death sentence in and of itself, but... If covered you, and dung it kind of guaranteed it yeah if you happen to survive or your body healed from that injury miraculously this would just like was a surefire way of death so i have one more bullet point to read and then we're going to split this into two episodes because we are we are about halfway done and we're at like that 40-ish minute mark um but yeah so i will just kind of read this last little entry and then we'll Okay. Get to, you get to hear the good stuff next week. Alrighty. So. Let's finish strong. Yeah. On October 16th, they reached the gateway to the Sierra Nevada on the Truckee River in present day Reno, where I am. And they were almost completely depleted of all food supplies. Miraculously, just three days later on October 19th, one of the men the party had sent on to Fort Sutter, Charles Stanton, returned laden with seven mules loaded with beef, flour, two Indian guides, uh, news of a clear but difficult path through this year in Nevada, and Stanton's partner, William McCutcheon, who had also gone, had fallen ill but remained at the fort. The caravan camped for five days, 50 miles from the summit, resting their oxen for the final push. 
This decision to delay their departure was yet one more of the many that would lead to their tragedy. Because so, it was already September at this point. Just October. Like, oh, it was October. Yep, October 19th. That was... So they're basically just waiting to get snowed in. Pretty much. They're, I mean, snow's already at the mountain peaks and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but this little bit of hope with like new food supplies, Indian guides, a clear route for ahead. Um, they, they had some hope, but again, they refueled, they rested. They wanted to, you know that final good push on like a rested fed stomach so that's why they decided to wait okay yeah and so with that we will leave it for next week oh my gosh we've got a two-parter and it leaves kind of on a cliffhanger we know that stuff's about to go down i mean we know if this is your first episode listening to us, you're going to have to stay tuned. We're not going to spoil it. This is this is some serious stuff about to happen. It's going to get real weird. Tune in for the next one. Yeah. So, John, John, do you want to tell them about our merch and everything? Oh. Oh, you're going to love the merch. All of our merch. It's wonderful stuff. We have sweatshirts. We have t-shirts. We have tank tops. We have stickers. We have pins. All of which can be bought at it was bitcartel slash com, correct? No, it was com. I had it backwards. Dang it. Okay. Yeah. So, again, that's com. Mm-hmm. Don't do it the way I did it. You'll get sent to a weird spot. Yeah. Don't do that. No. Instead. And if you search just File and Vice Podcast, it should take you to our website, which you can also link to the cartel to like buy our merch and everything as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, please go there. And because we switched it up last episode, we are now do- releasing episodes bi-weekly. So mm-hmm. I'm sorry, guys, but you're going to have to wait for two weeks to get part two of the Donner Party. Oh, it's worth the wait. I mean, they're waiting, so you should too. Yeah. Yep, take take your days, rest up, feed your cattle, go swimming in the Truckee River, all that good stuff. But that's in the mountain. That'd be cool. I don't, I don't know. People are strange. Go for it. See what happens. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but yeah. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon and hear about some weird cryptids that I talk about, you can do that as well for just a dollar a month. Yep. You get to listen to JJ's Cryptic Corner as well as all past content. Um, again, JJ's Cryptic Corner gets re- released now bi-weekly, same as the episodes. But yeah, uh, there's we're in the double digits now with episodes, so there is a lot on there, and they are really, really fun to listen to. So again, that's patreon.com backslash vice. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E, no ampersands here. And with that, please stay tuned in two weeks for part two of the Donner Party. We'll see you there. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Violent Vice Podcast. Cover art is by Colton Griffith. Music by Annabelle Rivek. And research done by Body Griffith. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Violent Vice Podcast or on Twitter at Violent Vice. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. No ampersands here. If you want to help support the show, please do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Vice, or give us a once-off donation on PayPal with our email, valandvice at gmail.com. Again, that's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. 
to keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you.